following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. I, I wrote it down because I don't usually say that first. I don't have to do that first part usually, so good morning again because I wrote it down. I'm sticking to the script, right? Yeah. Well, it's October. What is wrong with you? Honestly, what happened in July? I think we can officially say that summer is over. Uh, the scenery certainly changes in October around here. Uh, and I, I wrote down that tourists are scarce, but there's a lot of you I haven't met yet, so I don't want to say anything about tourists. We'll leave that alone. Um, but the leaves change and... And every other front yard turns into a cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. October brings Halloween. And it's a tricky season to navigate, for sure, I think. All right. Well, I did not intend that. That was, it's just, I can't help it, I guess. Yeah, it's, we all have our gifts and some of them are curses. Yeah, sorry. I'm just, let's reset. <clears throat> well, the church has um, had a great deal of difficulty, the church in general, in dealing with Halloween over the years. Um, and I'm sure that your experiences are, are varied um, as well. Um, the, the church has, uh, in some cases, shunned Halloween. Uh, not allowed to talk about it. We don't. We ban trick or treating and tell the kids not to do that because it's unholy. Um, maybe you just shrug our shoulders and turn off our porch lights and uh, ignore Halloween altogether. Um, so no kids will bother us for candy. Who wants kids on your porch anyway? Um, and the church uh, has tried to replace Halloween. We have harvest parties. Uh, um, where we give out candy and kids dress in costumes for harvest, right? Because we're very agrarian here and uh, we're celebrating the harvest. Uh, Okay. Um, You know, we just try to do more holy activities because eating donuts off a string at a harvest party is more holy than a Halloween party, for sure. Um, Well, so this year, I... I don't say any of those things because I fall into any of those camps personally. Um, I would encourage you all, all of us as a church family, to redeem the day. Uh, It it is what it is. Our culture has embraced it. Not that I'm encouraging you to decorate your front yard like a cemetery, but I would encourage you to welcome your neighbors to your house and give kids candy and share the love of Jesus with them in whatever way that you can. but uh, I, I assure you that um, not to mix our, our holidays or whatever, but don't be a Scrooge uh, and, and, and chase people off your porch. Um, uh, just be welcoming. Be generous. I love your neighbors uh, in the name of Jesus. And give good candy. Like, come on. Yeah. Full size. Well, I don't know about. I'll leave that up to your judgment anyway. Um, yeah, don't, no raisins, no, 
raisins. Yeah, tooth, toothbrushes, right? Anyway, um, honestly, I say all that to say that, unfortunately, this particular season brings around real um, mischaracterizations of a very real enemy. Um, and Halloween has turned into a season, uh, maybe it's always been this way, um, it's become a season of glorifying evil uh, and celebrating all things evil. Every channel on TV shows horror movies. Um, every storefront features all things scary. Um, there's a lot more going on than just kids getting candy. Uh, our enemy really is at work. Um, and it seems like this time of year, people just invite it. And our passage for this morning focuses on our very real enemy and his designs and will be helpful for us as the Lord's Church, not just on Halloween, but all the time. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to focus on verses 8 through 11, and that's page 1017 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. We're almost finished with 1 Peter, but... Try to stretch it out for at least one more week. First Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we turn our attention to your word now, we pray that your spirit would speak to us, that your book would come alive uh, to us in our midst now. We need your help. We need your instruction so that we know how to live. And we give you permission to rearrange our furniture if necessary. Be glorified in our midst. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are three parties mentioned here in these four verses, and they're not Halloween parties. Who are the three parties mentioned in our text? Who is the devil? There's one. Uh, I, the brotherhood. Okay, the church. I'll take the church. Yep. Jesus, Moses, and Jerusalem, right? That's the standard answer. Sunday school. No. We have the devil, we have the church, and God. Okay, the Father, thank you. That's usually a pretty safe bet anytime anybody asks you. Um, God's a good answer. So the devil, the Father, and the church. Uh, So the devil and the Father, God the Father, both want things for the church. They both have plans and designs for the church, and they could not be more different. Um, Peter calls the devil your adversary. This is the same word as the Hebrew word Satan. 
Maybe you've heard that one before. Uh, and that uh, that means that that word means a legal opponent, right? one who speaks against another um, in court, one who is actively and consistently hostile towards someone else. Uh, another word for that is enemy, which is why they wrote it that way. Um, right. It's a lawyer. No wonder we struggle with lawyers. That's a long and rich tradition. <laughs> Even the word devil means slanderer. Um, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Jesus called him a murderer and a liar and the father of lies. And when he speaks, he lies because he speaks from his character. Um, so the reality of this is, like, we don't, when people think about the devil, right, the pointy horns and a pony tail and a pitchfork and a little red guy and not a threat, right, very impish picture, but that's not even remotely close. That is, that is such a cartoonish, false narrative that the devil himself would love for people to embrace. Um, the truth of the matter is the devil is not a being that any one of our unwitting neighbors would invite in for candy if they knew who he really was and what his designs for them really were. What he really wants to do to people. We have a, we have this strange uh, scenario where we're, just like Halloween, we either just ignore the enemy altogether or we think that he is something that he's not or maybe we give him too much credit for what he's doing. But we don't have a good grasp on the reality of who he is and what he wants for people. And what is it that the enemy wants to do to our neighbors? What is it that the enemy wants to do to the church? What is it that he wants to do to us? He wants us destroyed. The devil's goal for the world, like, he's very clever, but not very subtle. Like, the designs the devil has for the world are obvious. He wants people to turn away from the Lord Jesus. Because when people turn away from the Lord Jesus... We're not, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't have forgiveness. And so when their body dies, they get to be destroyed in hell. And that's what he wants. That's exactly what the devil wants. Hell is not where Satan lives. That's not his base of operations. It's the place where he is most afraid of. That's where he does not want to go. But the Bible says that is where he is destined to go. But he's not going down without a fight. It's not, it's, the devil doesn't just want to get people to sin. That's the other thing we think of. I remember the cartoons of Sylvester the cat with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, right? Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's, not, um, that's not really what, the, what our enemy is trying to do, uh, just to get people to sin and make bad choices, though he is very good at that. Um, 
the truth is we're experts on our own. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need his help. Um, but his goal is to turn people away from Jesus, away from the Father, and destroy them. Not somebody you want to invite in for candy and decorate your yard to celebrate. And Peter says that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, this is probably the most vivid um, verbal painting of, of the devil, and it's the one I like the least because I really like lions. And I, I don't, uh, like our, our family crest is a black lion, right? I love that. I don't want to be like, yeah, that brand, <laughs> that's the devil. No, no, no. I, I don't like the devil as a roaring lion at all. Um, I have good news about that. Absolutely. Abraham Kalov wrote, the lion of the tribe of Judah is mightier by far than the lion of hell. The lion of the tribe of Judah, our Lord Jesus Christ. The lion of hell seeks our destruction. He seeks to devour us one by one until there's no one left to turn to Jesus. But the lion of the tribe of Judah has designs for us as well, and he is mightier by far. If you're an amen saying person, that's the time to say it. Amen. He is mightier by far than our enemy. And Peter says that though the devil wants to destroy us, God the Father wants to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us in his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. That's a lot better news. And what the Father has designed for us is better by far. And it's, it's my pattern. Here's four words. Let's talk about those four words and what they mean. Um, if you've heard me speak before, I have a tendency to do that. But these four terms are all part of the same picture. Uh, they are, they're uh, facets of the same gem. The word restore means to make completely sufficient uh, in the Greek, to be perfect, to be ready in every sense. It's a word used of mending nets. Once they're mended, they're they are restored. They are complete. They are ready for service. Um, to confirm means to make more able, to impart spiritual might as opposed to weakness. They could have just as easily used the word strengthen for confirm, but they use the word strengthen for strengthen, and it means something a little different. So to make more able, to impart spiritual might, and to strengthen means to make more firm, to make stronger, simple. And to establish, I like this one, it means to fasten to the ground, like built up on a firm foundation. Um, think of an oak tree and its roots driven deep into the ground. It is firm and established. But all of those words paint a picture, in my mind at least, I can't help but think of the Roman legion, the Roman soldiers. I think um, I have a picture of it to share with you because this is almost exactly what popped into my mind when I thought of these words in the picture that they paint. The Roman legionnaire is completely sufficient 
for the work, right? They are, they are warrior through and through, trained, built up, um, and, and uh, experts in their work. They are more able to fight than the regular uh, man or woman. They are stronger. They are trained for this, for battle. And they're, they're fastened to the ground, right? They are, they are immovable, built up on a firm foundation. This is what God wants for his church, this picture. This is how the church works. This is God's design for the church because we are in a battle. And the way Roman soldiers, the way legionnaires work is like this picture. So what does Peter say here that we, Christ Church, need to do in order to be that, in order to get there? Does that, when you look at that picture, do you think, oh, yeah, that's us. I I don't. I, I, I want that to be. To be us as a family. I think it's a good goal and we need to work towards it. So what does Peter say that we need to do in order to be that? What do we need to do to resist the devil so that he'll flee from us? Like it says in James 4, resist the devil and he will flee. I'd flee that. I don't know about you. I would flee that. I'm not the devil. Aren't you lucky? The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, gives us four tactics of legionnaires right here in these verses. To be sober-minded, to be watchful, to stand firm, and to stand together. Now, Peter had just instructed, if you remember from our text from last week, Peter had just instructed the church to cast our anxieties on the Lord because he cares for us. Now, it's been said that anxiety will intoxicate the soul. Therefore, we must be sober. We must be serious. We need to be serious and aware of the reality of the fight that we're in. Burying our heads in the sand does not make the church look like this. J.P. Lang wrote, we are the church militant, not yet the church triumphant. The battle is won. Satan is defeated. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. When he rose from the grave, the power of the enemy was broken. That didn't stop him from working. He is still at work, and we are still in a battle. Though the end result is already decided, we still have to get to that day. And we can't just sit in our houses with our porch lights off and ignoring the rest of the world until that day comes. That's not faithfulness. That's fear. And that's not how the Bible describes the church. The day is coming when the Lord Jesus will return for his church. But until then, we are to fight Don't be fooled. We are in a war, not just to defend ourselves, but we are in a war for souls. The enemy wants to take captive everyone who does, well, everyone, 
You, me, those who don't know Christ. He wants them all. He wants us all. You want to give them up? I don't. So not only are we to be sober-minded, serious about what's going on, aware of the fight that we're in, but we must also be watchful. Be sober-minded, be watchful, to be vigilant, to be aware of the tactics of our enemy. We can't ignore him. We can't ignore the reality that we're in a battle. Somebody once said, and I think it was in a movie, but I can't remember which one. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to trick people into thinking he didn't exist. Usual suspects. I knew it would come. I don't recommend it, but it's a line from that movie. Pretending that he doesn't exist is one of his greatest tactics. And we cannot ignore the reality that our enemy is out there seeking to devour and destroy. I'm not suggesting that we live in fear as if the devil is going to jump out from behind every bush. Um, but we must be aware that of his tactics. He is the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation 12:20. He's the one that stands before God and says, you don't want them. Look what they did. You don't want that person. Look what a dirty, rotten sinner they are. He is a murderer and the father of lies, according to John 8:44. Everything he does is to get people to believe lies and push us away from the Father, push us away from faith in Jesus, and push us towards our own pride. It's John Calvin that said, pride is the sin that is pregnant with all the others. And when you go back to the beginning, the first sin was pride. The devil's sin was pride. Adam and Eve's sin was pride. They wanted more for themselves. They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. And boy, didn't they get it. And haven't we answered for it for generations. Pride says that we are either extraordinary sinners or uncommon saints. Meaning that we are either beyond the reach of God's grace, we're just, we're, he, how could he possibly save me? I'm so filthy how could god ever love me that we're either beyond the reach of god's grace in that direction or we're beyond the need of god's grace in this direction i don't i'm good enough i've never murdered anyone i'm going to heaven because i'm a good person you're fooled Believing either of these lies, that you are either an extraordinary sinner or an extraordinary saint, makes you lunch for lions. But these are the lies that we're fed all the time. These are the lies that our culture believes. That they either don't need a savior or they're beyond saving. Neither of those are true. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should have eternal life, not perish. It's not based on the quality of our character. We're all bad, okay? Get over it. That's what makes God so good and his grace so amazing. I was in Home Depot this week, believe it or not. (laughs) 
And the cashier was telling me that their, their store had been a frequent target of counterfeiters. Um, that, that, that store had been hit with a number of counterfeit bills. And the best training to spot counterfeit bills is not to study counterfeit bills. It's to study genuine bills until the flaws of counterfeit bills are obvious. That's pretty simple and pretty wise. The same is true for us. Same is true for the church. We must study the truth, the truth of God's word, not the truth of our feelings or what our truth is versus someone else's truth. That's a load of garbage straight from the mouth of the devil. Truth is truth. There's one absolute truth. Its source is God. It's written for us here in the Bible. Okay? Just to be clear, now you know where we all stand. We need to know God's word. We need to know his truth so that the lies of the enemy become obvious to us. We couldn't possibly believe the lies of the enemy because we know the truth. Knowing God's word helps us with our third tactic against the enemy, to stand firm in our faith. Verse 9 says to resist the devil firm in your faith. Johann Gerhard wrote, Victory over Satan lies in faith because faith unites us to Christ the victor. By faith, the devil is driven to flight as the lion is driven by fire. We must stand firm in our faith. Well, what does that mean? That's an overused word in our culture as well. To have faith or being a person of faith, everybody needs to have faith. Your neighbors would not disagree with that statement for the most part. Everybody's got to have faith. Um, in, in, in what exactly? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just, you know, faith. Like in the Great Pumpkin? It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Faith without an object is, is not, doesn't exist. Faith is not some nebulous concept. It's rock solid. There are lots of spiritual people around, people who consider themselves to be spiritual people. But this loose mysticism is miles away from what Peter meant by standing firm in your faith. Faith is concrete. Faith is trust. You don't have trust in a nebulous concept. We have trust in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's what faith is, trusting Jesus. It's not nebulous or mystical or spooky. It's solid and firm, absolute trust in Jesus. And it's, it, it's trusting that he is the one and only eternally existent son of God sent to earth by the Father and anointed by the Holy Spirit with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He was crucified, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he appeared to chosen witnesses who ate and drank with him after he had risen from the dead. He commanded them to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all of the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him 
receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the truth. That's bedrock that we can stand on. That was Peter's confession to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. That is the faith that we stand firm in. I would encourage you all to read that account in Acts chapter 10. It is a beautiful and brilliant gospel proclamation. And Cornelius and his household came to faith, the first Gentiles that received the gospel. So how does this apply to our picture of legionnaires? They're sober-minded. They're vigilant. They stand firm. Take a look at that picture. They don't stand alone. They don't stand alone. We are are to be sober-minded. We are to be watchful. We are to stand firm in our faith, and we are to stand together. Verse 9 says, Resist the devil firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I'm sure that... um, I'm sure Peter hadn't seen Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Pretty sure Nat Geo Wild wasn't a thing for him. But this is exactly how lions hunt. They separate the weak from the rest of the herd and they eat them. Believing that we are alone in our suffering believing that we are the only ones experiencing the difficulty that we're dealing with, believing that we're the only one who has ever had to to deal with the oppression or deal with the, the pressure from the outside, that separates us from the herd. Lunch for lions. Even worse is that we believe that we're okay by ourselves. We're not. You're not. Believing that we don't need anyone else to stand with us is a great lie of the enemy. And millions of people have bought it. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need anyone else. I can just mind my own business. I don't need to go to the pointy building thing in town. I don't need those people. Now, if you're, if, you're watching this, if you're watching this video, I, I'm not talking to you guys here. There's, a, there's an electronic eyeball at the back of the room. Now, if you're watching this video or you're listening to this podcast because you're sick or are unable to attend services or just live far away, this, this next statement is not for you. Okay? If you're sick, shut in, quarantined, um, or one of my family members that lives far away from here, this is not for you. But if you are watching this video or live stream or listening to this podcast because you think you don't need the church, because you think you don't need to go to church in order to be a Christian, that you don't need this family or that the church only exists for services and sermons. 
you have been deceived by the enemy. And he is ready to devour you. Legionnaires don't stand alone. We stand together. The church is not just the building. The church is not just services and sermons. The church is people. It's, it's you. It's us together. Fellow believers, fellow legionnaires that need to stand together in order to stand against the enemy. Now, if you've been to a wedding recently, this next text will sound familiar to you. It's Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes. Sorry, I can't even remember the books of the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. If, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But what, how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I know that we want to apply that to husbands and wives. That's how it gets used at every wedding. This is the church. We are not designed to be alone. We are not designed to walk through this life alone. We cannot withstand the devil alone. The devil wants to devour and destroy us. But the father wants to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. To him alone be the might, be the power, the dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through it, you do indeed restore and confirm and establish and strengthen us. I pray, Father, that we would heed the, the word of your spirit this morning to stand together firm in our faith. That those who have been avoiding the church, thinking that they can go it alone, would give up on that tactic and would come. And join us, not just to fill this building so that it's full of people and we all feel good about that, but because we need each other. Help us, Father, to stand together. Help us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We pray that this word would make a difference in all of us together. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.